Good morning. I hope you guys are, are doing well today. Um, I know uh, from having uh, served you for uh, this June uh, 17 years, I know that uh, very few topics that I will preach on te- and, and teach on raise the temperature of a room the way that we're, the one we're talking about today uh, more than money, and uh, that raises it some, right? Uh, talking about money raises it some, more than uh, submission, and it raises it some, but talking about uh, forgiving the people that have wronged us raises the temperature, and not just this room, any room, raises the temperature in a room uh, like very few other topics. And I want you to know that today, the word of God is going to cut some of us. But it's not the cut of an attacker. It's the cut of a surgeon. And if we can allow him to cut us a little bit in this area, we will receive healing and be stronger than we were before. And so I, I say all that, not even having started the sermon yet, um, I... I, I when I started preaching on this quite a while ago, I came to the conclusion very quickly that I needed to give a little bit of a heads up on this topic. You know, usually with like money, it'd be like, hey, you know, after about a 10 minute intro, surprise, we're talking about money, you know, can't leave now. Um, and I realized forgiveness was not a topic I should do that with. Uh, and so I just want us to open our hearts and open our minds a little bit uh, to what Joseph, as we continue on in this Joseph series, what Joseph is going to teach us, because the thing that we all have in common, every single person in this room has had someone's sin dump over on them, right? All have, and all of our sin has dumped off on someone else. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it is a common thing that we all have, that we have been hurt by someone. We've been hurt by their sin. We've been hurt by their lies, their deception, whatever it is. We've been hurt by them. And the scriptures teach us to find a way to forgive. Uh, And it hurts to do that sometimes. And so we're going to pray, and I'm going to start out with a hilarious opening um, (laughs) to butter the bread a little bit, and then we're going to start to form the sandwich. All right, so let's pray. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. Uh, I pray that this morning, uh, as we kind of uh, wrestle with a little bit uh, who we need to forgive, like like Joseph is going to be face-to-face with the people that wronged him. And he doesn't know what to do. I think that is clear. He doesn't know what to do. But he arrives in this place called grace. And I want to pray that for all of us this morning as well, whatever we're struggling with and whoever we're struggling with, that we would find a place called grace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. There's a story that I I just love about this kind of old-fashioned woman who was planning a... Uh, camping trip with her extended family, and she was always very delicate and elegant in her language, and she wanted to write a letter for you young people. This is something older people we used to do, where we would write a letter, and we would put it, and we'd stamp it, and it would go off, and it would take like three days. Now it takes like four weeks, Uh, but it used to take just a couple days, and she wanted to write a letter to this campground and ask for reservations, and she wanted to make sure Uh, The restrooms were fully equipped and nice, but in her kind of demure, delicate, elegant language, she didn't know really how to talk about the toilets, 
She didn't really know how to bring that up, and she wordsmithed it, and she thought about it. What is the delicate, elegant, nice way to say this? And finally, she came up with the idea of, I will just ask him about the bathroom commodes. That'll be a great way for me to do it, the bathroom commodes. And as she was writing it down, her elegance and demureness, it it just wouldn't allow her to do it. So she said, I'm just going to shorten that to B.C., I'm going to ask him about the BC on the property and, and, and what it looks like. And when the camp owner, campground owner got the letter, he had no idea what BC meant. And so he started asking the different campers and asking his staff. He's like, I have no idea what the word BC means. And finally, he, it came to him. He said, I, I bet you yeah, I know what it means. I bet she's asking about the local Baptist church, BC. And so he writes her back a letter and it says, Dear Madam, I regret very much in the delay of writing your letter, but I now take pleasure in informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite. (laughs) It is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you will be pleased to know that it is a, a great number of people take their lunches along and they make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago, and it was so crowded we had to stand the whole time out there. It may interest you to know that there's a supper planned to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the BC so everyone can watch and talk about the great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go to more regularly, but it's not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in the cold weather. If you decide to come down to the camp, perhaps I can go with you down for the first time, sit with you, and introduce you to the other folks. This really is a friendly community. Now, I am sure she was greatly offended uh, by, by that letter that she received. But at the end of the day, we all know it was just a misunderstanding. And we all have issues like this every day. Someone's offended, someone's hurt, someone's injured, but it was an accident. It wasn't intended. It, it was a big misunderstanding. And as if you've been part of this series, you know the life of Joseph could never be described that way as a big misunderstanding right? And maybe you feel that way about your situation. I've kind of buttered the bread a little bit about we're going to talk about forgiveness and grace and like, no, no, no. My situation, like Joe's, it was not a misunderstanding. They know what they did. They know what they said. They know what action they took. They know they were wrong. It was not a misunderstanding. And you could definitely describe Joseph the same way. You remember his story? He sold into slavery. No one does that by accident, right? That situation got away from us a little bit. No, that doesn't happen by accident, right? He was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of him and they hated him. No misunderstanding. He rose from slave to be in charge of the master's entire house. And while there, he's falsely accused of rape and ended up in prison for several years. While in prison, a buddy gets out and promises to remember him and just doesn't. So he ends up there for an additional two years. Two, all right? Math is hard. Because he's forgotten by a friend. And when you study the life of Joseph from 17 years of age to 30, for 13 years, it is one person wronging him after another. Think about that. 13 years of people doing you wrong. How angry would you be? How bitter would you be? How hostile would you be? And that's where we end up in Genesis 45. 
the story goes, and, and Scott kind of laid this up uh, last week, but a famine ends up affecting the entire world, and everyone ends up going to Egypt to buy bread, uh, to buy grain, excuse me, including Joseph's brothers. The father sends Joseph's brothers to Egypt to buy grain, and they end up appearing before Joseph, and they don't recognize him. But you better believe Joseph recognizes them. Now, you have to remember, Joseph is the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. The people that wronged you and hurt you and sold you into slavery are standing before you. They have no idea who you are. You know who they are. And you have all the power, all the resources, all the authority in the world. What do you do? Some of you dream of this with the person that wronged you. Like, oh, someday I'm going to be boss of the company. You know, you kind of think about it a little bit. Someday I'm going to be in charge. So, some, they're going to stand before me and ne- they're going to have a need. And in that moment, all the cards will be mine. I remember growing up, we used to have, the, you remember Choose Your Own Adventure? I used to love those stories when I was a kid where you'd be reading along. I remember one in particular about a haunted house. And it's like you come up to the door of the haunted house and it's like, do you run away or do you knock? And you get to choose your own adventure. You get to choose what page you're going to go to. This is like that. The brothers that have wronged you and hurt you, they're standing before you. Choose your own adventure. What do you do in that moment? I'm guessing some people in this room would react angrily. Like, oh, you like selling people into slavery. Let's see how you do. Right? You like people that end up in prison? Let's see how you do. Some would react angrily. Right? Some would react just passively, and they'd leave quickly and say, hey, associate, whatever, servant, whatever, you handle the situation. I, I'm not getting involved in this. I'm just going to stay with it. And they'd never reveal himself to his brother, ne- never do anything like that. Some would respond passively, aggressively, and you'd fill your work buddy up in, in on the situation. Hey, they wronged me. They hurt me. They sold me to slavery. Do whatever you think is best in the situation. And the fact of the matter is, as we talked about last week, Joseph doesn't know what to do. Right? We all think we know exactly what we would do. Oh, like you've laid out some options. I got option four and five, Steve. I, I thought of some stuff you haven't even thought of right? if I were in that situation. I know exactly what I would do. Joseph, you probably don't. Joseph has no idea how he's going to handle this situation, and it seems like he's trying to figure it out. He messes with the brothers a little bit. Uh, he ends up accusing them of being spies. He doesn't know what he's going to do, but we know where he ends up. He ends up in this place, this beautiful kind of place called grace. And let me show you what Genesis 45 says. Then Jacob could control himself no longer before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. Because they were terrified at his presence. Just imagine it for a minute, guys. We sometimes read the Bible like words. Just imagine, I'm Joseph. Remember Joseph? I'm Joseph. And they're terrified. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. 
So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down with me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. And then if you flip over uh, to Genesis 50, there comes a point that I want to share with you when uh, Joseph's father dies and all of the brothers think that Joseph is being kind to them because he loves his father so much while they're they're all together. But then the father dies and they're all like, oh man, we are in deep trouble. And I want to show you that passage in verse 15. When When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask that you forgive your brothers the sin. You got to love these guys, right? This is what dad wanted. (laughs) Forgive us and give us lots of money. I will ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of, of, of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down and said, We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is what it looks like to forgive. This is when you can know you've actually forgiven the person that wronged you. You can tell when you've gotten to a spot where you no longer use their sin as a weapon against them. And also, it is when you have arrived at a place of peace. And so I want to give you a few statements, and you can tell me if these are true for you. These are kind of tests that we can all ask ourselves to see, have I arrived in a place of of, of forgiveness. So let me give you just a, a few statements that here's one. Many times when the person that wronged me comes up in conversation with other people, I quickly mention their sin. And I'll say things like, oh, they are a liar, or they are a cheater, or they're angry all the time. And in conversation about them, I use their sin as a weapon. Right? That is not a person of peace. Or I often fantasize about what I would say or do if I had the courage or the opportunity. And I think about it, I was like, oh man, you know, you love hearing stories like this because like, oh man, if that happened to me, whoop, Nelly, right? I, oh man, that would be a great day when I have all of the power, all of the authority, and then whoo, what, what would I do? And you start to fantasize and think about it. Uh, that is not a person that is at peace. Or if you're in a relationship with the person that wronged you, I often find ways to subtly remind them of what they did to me every opportunity that I have. I use their sin as a weapon. Or I find myself gossiping about this person and none of what I say is kind. I have no peace. And many would say, well, the Bible says forgive and forgive and forget. You know that phrase never actually appears in the Bible? You know where it is? First Opinions 316. <laughs> right? 
Forgive and forget never actually appears in the Bible. I've actually tried to research it and find when it was first coined, and I couldn't find it. The ideas individually are in there, but together uh, they are not. And the fact of the matter is sometimes someone is relationally bad for you or dangerous for you or abusive toward you, and you just shouldn't be around them very much. Just forgetting what they've done is not the proper way for you to move forward. The Bible does not describe forgiveness as forgetfulness, right? God doesn't all of a sudden just not know what our sin is. He's God, right? It's like, man, it seems like God's got a really short-term memory. No, no, no. He, he remembers, he satisfies the guilt of our sin through the cross. So when the Bible describes forgiveness, it doesn't talk about it in terms of forgetfulness. It describes it almost as a financial term. It would be like you and I owing, let's say you and I owe someone $7,000. We owe them the money. We have no idea how we're going to pay it back. And the person that we owe it to says, hey, the debt is paid. The price is forgiven. You don't owe me anything. They haven't forgotten the debt. They know you owe them $7,000. They have satisfied the indebtedness of it. They have forgiven the debt. That's what forgiveness is all about. It's about saying, I forgive your debt. It's taken care of, and here's the test of it. I'm not going to use it against you anymore. I'm not going to use it. That's when you can know you've satisfied that. I'm not going to use your sin as a weapon against you or to others about you. I'm not going to use it as a weapon anymore. You see, bitterness and anger, that is transactional, uh, transactional language as well, because at the root of bitterness and anger is this statement. Oh, no, no, no. You haven't paid enough for your sin yet. You haven't paid enough yet. I know you've been in the doghouse for 20 years, but you haven't paid enough yet, and it's my job to make sure that you do. This is the root of cancel culture. Cancel culture is you haven't paid enough yet. And our culture and our society and us as individuals needs to make sure you pay whatever amount is that we have in our head, which is usually never satisfied. I'm reminded of the story of Jesus. When the crowds turned against him, he went through a series of sham trials. He eventually was nailed to a cross. And you remember, you remember what he said from the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. That's forgiveness. And here's why this is so important, guys, and why I get so amped up about messages like this and excited to deliver them, is bitterness is like a disease. Bitterness is like a disease. And specifically, it's like a disease called cancer. It will penetrate your body, affecting everything. And it usually starts with your mind. Bitterness starts in your mind, and you'll begin to think about in great detail what they did and what they said, and you'll think about it again and again and again, and you're like, oh, I just need it to stay in my mind. It's a cancer. It doesn't stay there. It spreads to your heart, and all of a sudden, you move from thinking to feeling negatively about them, and you begin to feel this anger. That's when the bitterness is spread from your mind to your heart, and you're like, oh, I just, I, this is just how I feel. It just needs to stay there. No, no, no. Then it spreads to your mouth. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And all of a sudden it spreads to your mouth and you'll begin to talk to people about them in a very angry and bitter way. What they said, what they did. And you'll begin to talk a lot about it, about the person that wronged you. And you'll begin to say things that are not true of any child of God because the bitterness has taken hold. And then it spreads to your hands. 
This is where people end up in a place they never thought they'd end up. And they end up taking actions with their hands to hurt someone or ruin the reputation of the person that wronged them. And one of the reasons that I love this story as you read Joseph is you see for what was done to him, you see how at peace he is in his life and in his brothers and in his relationship with his brothers. Great healing comes with grace. When you adopt a mentality of grace, healing can come to your mind. You'll be like, I can't stop thinking about it. If you adopt a model of grace, your mind can be healed. Your heart can be healed. Your heart can be healed. All of a sudden you feel differently about the person than you ever realized you could. Your heart begins to heal. Your mouth begins to change because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then every decision you make is changed. Now here's what you need to know. Forgiveness and grace doesn't come from relational understanding. This is a huge error that we think. We think, if I could just understand why they said that, and why they did that, and why they took that, if I could just understand, I could arrive in a place of grace. Listen, you'll likely never understand. You'll likely never understand why they did that, why they said that. Why they took that action. It was a sin. Hopefully you don't understand it. You'll likely never understand it. So healing doesn't come from relational understanding. What we learn from Joseph is that healing comes from theological understanding. Uh, healing comes when we understand things about God, not understanding things about their behavior. Because I'm in the same boat. I've had people wrong my family. And you're like, why would they do that? And you ruminate on it. Say, I want to understand this. Why would you say that? Why would you do that? Why would you take that action? And if you ever had the confrontation with the person, they're just kind of like, I I don't know. They don't know. So relational understanding is not where we need to focus for healing to come. To our mind and our heart and our mouth and our actions. It is theological understanding. It is understanding about God. And in the story of Joseph, we see three theological pillars about God that I think are why Joseph ended up in the place that he did. So some of you are maybe feeling a little chippy and a little defensive. That's okay. This subject always does that. But I want you to lean into these theological truths with me just for a few minutes and see if you can't see along with me why if we believe these things about God, if we believe these things about God, why and how healing can come. Because I know that's what you want. That's why you're in church. Like, I want to be healed of this. I want to be made better. I want to be made new. You'll never understand why they did what they did. You'll Give it up. You'll never get it. But you can understand these things about God. So here's pillar number one that Joseph understood about God. Pillar number one, God is in control. All right? Verse, uh, verse 5 of chapter 45. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. It's like, no, no, I want you to be angry with yourselves. That's our mindset. What you did was wrong, but Joseph got to this place. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that who? That God sent me ahead of you. He had this perspective that, brothers, you were out of control. And they were. 
They were out of control. Your jealousy was out of control. Your anger was out of control. You were out of control. What they did was horrible. But God was never out of control. God never lost control. And he was able to use Joseph's difficult circumstances caused by his brothers to use God, uh, his difficult circumstances in an incredible, incredible way. We talk about all the time about when, whenever we're going through something like, is this God's causal will or is it his permissible will, right? Did God cause this hardship or do we live in a sinful and fallen world and God just allowed this hardship? And I understand why we want answers to that and we've preached a lot about that. So we don't need to rehash all of that. But in this way, in this way, it really doesn't matter. If God causes it or if he allows it, and most of the hardship we go through is stuff that God has just allowed. If God allows it, either way, he has a plan for it. He has not lost control to the sinful person in your life. He has not lost control. He has a plan. And he has a plan. And someone that hurt you or lied to you or damaged you in some way, they cannot derail God's plan, God's good plan for your life. God is bigger than them. He is stronger than them. And he can use even those things that they did to you. He can use those things for his glory and his joy. Israel had their own story with this just a few chapters later. I read you Genesis 50. It's the last chapter. Exodus 1. A pharaoh comes in that doesn't remember Joseph. And he ends up enslaving God's people, mistreats them, abuses them, is harsh with them, does awful things. And out of that, God raises up Moses, who leads the people out into the, uh, into the, into the desert. And eventually they end up in the promised land after, after Moses. But God ends up using their difficulty for his glory and joy. And he ends up teaching them some incredible things, some awesome things happen. It's in that desert, when he leads them out of the desert, out of their slavery, it's in that desert place that he gives them manna uh, and, and water to drink. He ends up doing these miracles like the Red Sea. He gives them the law, all of these beautiful and incredible things. God's plan was not thwarted by Pharaoh's sin. God's plan was not thwarted by Pharaoh's sin. God has a plan and a purpose. And I'll tell you, in my experience, I don't know if you agree with this or not, and it's okay either way. I, I love you. Hopefully you love me. When anger and bitterness sets in with me, it's because I begin, I begin to believe a lie. They've ruined my life. God's plan cannot happen now. That's when bitterness and anger sets in. It's like, man, what they did to me, that ruined God's plans for me. But when you believe that God has a plan for your life and that God can use all things and all situations, that's when grace comes. It's like, man, what they did was sinful to be sure. What they did was wrong to be sure. They're accountable to God for what they did. Don't make, make, we'll talk about that in just a minute. So the, don't make, make a mistake that what they did was cool. It wasn't cool, deep theological principle. Not cool. Wrong. But God didn't lose control either. And he can use all things and all situations to accomplish his will and his purpose in your life. Some of you have stories about that. 
Like, man, I never thought I'd recover from the divorce. I never thought I'd recover from the financial catastrophe. I never thought I'd recover from the illness. I, I never thought, I, I thought my, the, the God's plan for my life was derailed. And then God shows up in a new and unique way. And you see that that wasn't true at all. He was able to use all things for his good glory and ultimately your joy. It's when you believe a lie that God's lost control to this knucklehead in my life. <laughs> right? God's lost, just think about that for a minute. God's lost control to a knucklehead. No, no, no. God's not lost control of anything. They're, they may be sinning, and they may be accountable to him, but God's still in control. That's theological principle number one. Theological principle number two is what we just talked about. God is the judge. God is judge. Say it with me. God is judge. Who's not? Me. I love Genesis 15, 19. I love what Joseph says to his brother. The brothers, the father has died and the brothers are freaking out because they thought Joseph was just being nice for the dad's sake and they're afraid that he's going to now, like, yeah, yeah, I said all that. Now it's the hammer of justice. Right? Dad's gone. There's no one holding me back. Watch what I do now. And so they send Joseph's uh, word to Joseph that, hey, you know, Dad had these last requests, you know. Um, it involved grace and money. Um, and, you know, we're, we're concerned. And I love what Joseph says on the screen for you. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I love this. Joseph came to this place where he said, it's not my role to dole out punishment for sin. That's God's place and God's job, and I trust him with it. See, we're really bad at that. God's really good at it. We're really bad at it. We're really bad about doling out justice for sin. Most of the time, we kind of go over the the, the top, and the reason that we kind of wield people's sins as swords um, is is that we believe uh, that God has a sword of justice, and we just kind of want to take that sword from him just for a minute. God, you know, I'll, I'll give it right back, I swear. Right? I'll give it right back to you. Uh, let me just wield that thing for a couple days, right? And we forget that our job is to trust him. See, bitterness and anger, and I want to say this because I, I mean it in 100% love. Bitterness, anger, and lashing out at others is a form of distrust of God. It's a form of distrust. I don't believe you're going to do your job. I don't believe you're going to do your job well. And so let me just, just let's, you know, a couple days. Oh, I just, I'm going to hold it for a couple days. Give it right back. I, I promise. And the person that forgives, I'm telling you, forgiveness and grace, this place called grace, it is a, it is a place for the faithful. Because I'm going to let God do his job. I'm going to let God enact justice I'm going to let God pay back what he needs to pay back. I'm going to let God do his thing, and I'm going to do the thing he's called me to do, which is to forgive and show grace. And grace requires great faith. Trusting God with justice requires great faith because he can dole it out better than I ever could or you ever could. Pillar number three, God has been incredibly kind to me. Chapter 45, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over Egypt. One of my favorite stories about Joseph is when he has his children. He has uh, a son named Manasseh, and he names him Manasseh because the Lord has made me forget all my trouble. 
He names his other son Ephraim because the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Hmm. Joseph believed that he had been shown incredible kindness by God. And the Bible's word for this, as we've been talking about, is grace. That Joseph's like, God has shown me great grace in the land of my suffering. And I bet if we went around this room, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so we're not going to do this. I know you want to get back for the six-hour pregame. Um, If we were to go around this room, I bet we could hear story after story after story of how God had been kind to us in the land of our suffering. How God had been so kind to us in the land of our suffering. It is a grace. See, the same thing that's true for Joseph is true for you. God has been kind to you and to me. And even if we have a hard time coming out, eh, I don't got, I don't got any story about the land of my suffering. Even if you can say that, you know, you may be talking about people that have suffered. I don't feel like I've got a good story about the land of my suffering. Even if that's true for you, you know what God did for you? He sent his son, his one and only son, whom he loved, to forgive your sin so that you could be made right with God in this life and in the next. It reminds me of a story that Jesus told, I'm going to preach on it actually in a couple of weeks, but this guy owed a, a bazillion dollars. Um, that's the original Greek word, all right, a bazillion dollars. And he couldn't pay it, and he went to the master, and he said, I can't pay it. I'm in trouble. I, I, I owe the money. I admit I owe the money, but I, I can't pay it. And it says the, the landowner looked at him and said, you know what? Forgive him. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm no longer going to hold it against you. Forgiveness. It's, it's forgiven. And the man walks out, just made a bazillion dollars, right? He owed it, and now he doesn't. And he walks out, and he sees the guy that owes him $100. And he says, hey, where, where's that hundo that you owe me, right? Let's, let's get it back here. Where, where is this? Where's this $100? And the man pauses, and he's like, I, I'll have it. And this man who was just forgiven a bazillion dollars has the man who owes him 100 thrown into debtor's prison. And Jesus' point with this story is this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. When you have been forgiven much, you forgive much. Sometimes we struggle with grace because we forget that we have been forgiven much. I'm going to go from preaching to meddling right now, right? We forget we have been forgiven much. My stuff's not that bad, and, you know, and we kind of buy into these lies, and we forget how much we've been forgiven. This is Joseph's perspective. He said, man, God has been so gracious and kind to me in Egypt. How could I turn around and be cruel to my brothers? Yeah, what they did was sinful and wrong, and you see him say that in different points. What you did was wrong, but I need to be gracious because God has been gracious to me. Now, I think it would be easy to receive this as a guilt trip. It's like, fine. You know, that's my kids. Fine. Right. You know, know, try to turn the screws to get the behavior that you want. Fine. Yeah. You get the roll of the eyes. Right. This is not meant to be that. Fine. I'll forgive. Yeah. Jesus went to the cross. He died. Fine. Right. I'll, I'll let it go, Steve. No, that's not what this is meant to be at all. The gospel should never be used that way. This is meant to, the gospel is meant to be a truth that penetrates your heart. Because this is where bitterness starts. Remember we talked about it being like a cancer? It starts in the brain. 
Right? It starts here. So it is meant to penetrate your heart, or your, your mind, and it is meant to penetrate your heart, and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will sing. So this isn't meant to be a begrudging, well, I guess I have to forgive because of what Jesus did for me. No, it's meant to be like, man, I am a sinner. I am a sinner who has been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me. He has made me right, made me new in this life and in the next. It is meant to penetrate your mind and your heart and your soul and to just get deep down. And then out of the overflow of that, grace will begin to come to others. See, when we refuse to show grace, it's really more of a symptom than a problem in and of itself. It's meant to show that, man, the the gospel has lost its hold somewhere. In my mind and in my heart, I need to focus on it. I need to read God's word about it. I need to sing great songs like we sang this morning about it. I need to focus on it. I need to like re-energize my passion for it because a lack of grace is more of a symptom that it's just, I've become less enamored with it. And my prayer for you and for me is that we would just be not begrudgingly submissive to grace. Because right? you know how you feel about it when your kids and grandkids do that. Right? Fine. <laughs> like you're the worst. Mom. You know how you feel about that. It ticks you off. <laughs> Just me? It ticks me off, right? The gospel is not that. It is meant to be the kid that's like, oh, mom and dad, you made me a peanut butter and jelly earlier. I know you didn't have to do that. You helped me clean my bedroom. You are the best parent. All right, I'm getting a little out of control now, right? That's, this is my fantasy. You are the best dad in the world. I can't believe all the kindnesses you show me, dad. Right, this is being recorded for my kids later, right? I can't believe all the kindnesses that you show me. And now I'm going to be kind to my sister. And I'm going to be kind to my brother. Because of the kindnesses you have shown me. That's grace. And it's a fantasy in the house when you're dealing with little minor little human beings. But it is a possibility here. That man, you have loved me. You have died for me. You have rescued me. You have redeemed me. You have given me your Holy Spirit. You have promised me eternal life. And it just washes over you. And it begins to spill out on other people. To say, man, how could I not forgive you? How could I not, how could I use your sin against you like a sword when I have been forgiven so much? It is meant to wash over us and find its way into other people. But it starts with theology. I'm a preacher. I believe everything starts with theology. But this in particular, it starts with theology. Because you'll never understand why they did what they did. I know I beat that drum hard, but we want to understand it. You'll never get it. And I hope you don't, because it was wrong. But you can understand your God, that he is the judge, that he is in control, that he is good. And when we understand God, and particularly we understand God's grace, we can't help but show that grace to others. Let me forgive. Uh, Let me uh, pray. Excuse me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace as we get ready to receive communion together as a church family right now. I want to pray uh, right now that anything that I've preached, that, that this would not be a begrudging moment. 
at all that we would receive the bread that represents your body and the juice that represents your blood and that we would look at that and that there would be any part of us that's like, fine, I'll forgive. But instead, we would look at that and say, man, what you've done for me, the grace that you've shown me, the love, the kindness, the eternal life, the Holy Spirit, the power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, is it worth what you've done that I would be filled up and it would overflow to the people in my life that I need to forgive. And the one thing that is true of every person in this room is that there's somebody we need to forgive. There's somebody that needs to forgive us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So may we leave here today fully in this place called grace. May we live in it and receive it, but not just receive it, may we demonstrate it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to receive communion. And what I prayed uh, is my my prayer for, for us this morning is that this wouldn't be a thing that becomes a begrudging thing but it becomes an overwhelming, overflowing thing that goes to other people. Because I bet there's some people in your life right now that you need to forgive, that God's calling you to forgive. And maybe the thing that's been holding you back is you just don't understand why they did it. Maybe you never will. But you can understand God and his grace. And maybe that can flow through you to them. Let's receive communion together. We'll pass out the emblems, and then I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive it together as a church family. God bless. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. May we be filled with it. May it wash over us. May it spill onto others as we leave this place. May we leave in a place called grace. And may we be changed by it, and may our relationships with others be changed because of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, we got uh, one last uh, week in the Joseph series, and uh, then we're going to do a series leading up to Easter uh, that's going to be called Contrast, and it's going to be a study of several stories in the book of Luke that within the story, it contrasts kind of two ways of thinking and two ways of living, and we're just going to work our way through some of those stories in Luke uh, that will end on Easter Sunday, believe it or not. It's not that far away. So uh, go ahead and stand up, and let's sing with, uh, close with one last song of worship.